All right, we are in this series that we are going to be talking about all summer long called It Takes Patience. It, I mean, it takes practice to be a Christian. And today's topic is don't pray for patience. Don't pray for patience. When I was um, in growing up through school, through high school, even through college, I, w- I was in a lot of churches, and every church said, now you don't want to pray for patience. You don't want to pray for patience, and the reason you don't want to pray for patience is because James tells us how you get patience. Does anybody know how you get patience? Yeah, testing, tribulation, trial, call whatever you like. It stinks, right? If you, go, if you pray for patience, God is going to give you trials. God is going to give you hardship. And so inside of us, there was this narrative. It was kind of a joke, but it kind of wasn't a joke that you don't want to pray for patience because hard stuff's going to show up in your life. And so maybe what you should do is you should try to get patience really quick before trials show up. Just try to get it real fast, which is kind of a paradox. Get patience really fast, right? Like, isn't that doesn't quite go together. Um, Like this rush to get patience, I don't think that works. But also, it really misses the whole profound point of what James says. Because James doesn't say, so don't pray for patience. He actually starts that verse by saying, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you fall into trials of all kinds, because trials bring patience. Consider pure joy. We're like, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> so I'm just going to not want patience in my life. I'm just going to move away from that in my life. But as I have lived and as I have gone through life, I, it, it starts to dawn on you eventually. I don't think that it's pray for patience and you get trials. I don't think that's how it works. I think it's more like this. You get trials, so pray for patience. Has anybody here been able to effectively opt out of trials in your life? Or avoid them, run away from them so fast that they never catch you? It just doesn't happen, does it? It's not the way it works. We get trials in our life. It is part of existence in this life. People throughout this congregation right now, throughout our room right here, are in trials. Every single one of us are in testings, and chaos, and brokenness, and hurt, confusion. There are trials that you see that if you went to someone and said, what's going on in your life, and they told you their trial, you'd be like, wow, I can't believe you're going through that. Deep loss, and a diagnosis that seems hopeless, or things like that that are just like overwhelming, the loss of a career, the loss of a job, the, the breaking of a marriage, just trials that are just horrible. But then there are trials that you don't see, things that go on inside of people, depression and despair, anxiety. There are some people right now that are in the middle of a trial that is affecting every breath that they take, every second of their life, the trial is affecting them, but they can't put it into words. They can't explain to you what's happening. They can't explain to you what's going on. They just are in it. It's unspeakable. I'm telling you, every single person that you see in this room, every single person you'll bump into today, every single person you bump into this week is going through trials. We don't get to choose trials, but we do get to choose what we will do with them. 
and how we will face them. So I would say to you, don't pray for patience. Choose it. Choose patience. Practice patience. The way that you effectively choose it is that you don't excuse yourself from it. And when trials show up, you don't try to get out of it. You recognize that this trial is here in part because God wants to build patience into my life. You are not waiting for something to change so you can start being patient. You are not waiting until something happens, some miracle happens. I'm just waiting for God to make me patient. Not how that works. What happens is you start to choose differently. You start to step into it, and God does a work through your willingness. God transforms you through the practice of patience. I, we're going to talk about this at length, and I, I know that you might think that I am an expert on patience. I am not an expert on patience in any way, but I am learning the value of it over time. When we had little kids, I was not a patient dad. When they were first young and growing and born, I was not patient. I was tired. You know, there's, there's a lot of chaos around kids. In, I don't know if any parents know what I'm talking about. You can wake up now if you're a parent. Like, you know what I'm talking about, right? Kids can wear you out, and I was frustrated, and I was tired. But underneath of it was this. I really thought I had to express frustration and, and anger and be loud in order to get through to my kids to get them what they needed so that they would hear it. What I learned is that I was getting through but not with what I wanted to. I was having an impact but it wasn't the impact I wanted to have. So God started to teach me that my reliance on my strength was getting in the way of the work he wanted to do. And the difference between those two was whether or not I would be patient. We talked last week about the practices of loving God. We're going to talk this summer about the practices of being a Christian. It takes practice to be a Christian. Last week we talked about how loving God comes from practices of sacrifice. And every single one of us should pattern sacrifice into our life. We actually ended last week by talking about how church is one of the first places that you can pattern and practice sacrifice through serving. There are lots of ways, and you should serve people in all kinds of ways. But one of the ways you get traction is you sign up to serve at church on a schedule. And it shows up regularly. Every one of us should be serving at church somehow regularly. We need it in our souls. It probably doesn't matter what team you're a part of, but it matters that you find a way to regularly serve. And you shouldn't be serving all the time because church is not just service, but you should be serving regularly. That's part of your practice of loving God. We saw that we're going to kind of like use the, the outline of the two great commandments. So we saw loving God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That was the first command. But Jesus gives a second great command. And he says it over and over again, so much so that the, other, the, the story we looked at last week that led into the Good Samaritan, somebody else said back to Jesus what he had been saying to people. It reminds you when you read the Word of God and you see slightly different wording here or there, Jesus didn't say things one time. He said them over and over and over again, around here and around there and wherever. And so, so eventually people caught on to what he was saying. 
And so someone was able to say back to him, these are the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, in John 13, Jesus kind of says to his disciples, now listen, there have been two great commandments, but he implies this. If you want to keep those two commandments, the way that you do that practically is you focus on the second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why do I say that? Because he said this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. It's the second great command. And he's saying that is the earmark, that is the fingerprint, that is the touchstone of what it means to be a Christian. In practical ways, if we want to love God, we need to learn how to love one another. And we probably need to learn what love is. So in the interest of loving God, let's talk about loving one another, how we can practice loving one another. And we're going to kind of do that for a, a little bit this summer. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul describes love to us. I've read this passage at so many weddings. I'm not sure that everybody really walks into what Paul tells us about love. But this is not just for weddings. Love your neighbor as yourself implies this is for every single one of us as we interact with people. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want to read verse 4. It goes all the way down to verse 8, but I want to read verse 4 just to kick it off. And it says this, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. And it goes on from there. What's interesting as you read 1 Corinthians 13, even in that verse, love is, love is, it does not, does not, it is not. More, a lot more in that passage is about what love does not do than what love does. What love chooses not to do than what love chooses to do, which tells me that our biggest fight is against our natural tendencies to do things that aren't loving. Boasting, envying, like... That's our natural fight. So we're going to talk about that. But today I wanted to start with love is patient and love is kind. What it tells us is that love is not warm feelings of good intention. Love is not thinking about a person. Love is something that makes choices. Love is patient. Love is kind. And because love makes choices, and it wants to, we want to live in that love, it makes those choices as a habit. It practices them. It embraces practicing, continuous choosing. I'm going to suggest, and I don't think I'm really far out there, that if God is going to grow us into the image of his son, if we are going to grow into Christians, if we are going to be more than just put a label on, well, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. We're going to live like Christians. We're going to live like children of the most high. Then we need practice at this. And practice is something that comes because we choose it. If we're called to love others, and love is patient, and love is kind, we can't disconnect them. Well, I love them, but I can't stand them. That's not in the Bible. Sorry. Love is patient, love is kind. What it does is it invites us in to what love is instead of out into what we try to make it. We can't expect to naturally grow into loving people without looking at patience and kindness. We, believers, we should be patient people. Well, I'm just not patient. You don't know me. That's not my personality. (laughs) 
You need to stop. Can I say this kindly? You need to stop making excuses for your choices. You need to stop putting your weakness and your self-centeredness on everybody else and brushing it aside as though it's everybody else's problem. I'm probably speaking more to men than women today. I don't know. Maybe women, you guys are as impatient, whatever. But men, impatience feels like strength. It isn't. It's not loving. It's not good. It doesn't do what you think it does. We should be patient people. We should be kind people. And I don't think it's very controversial to say we need some practice on both of those. The word patient here is to be long of spirit, to suffer long, to not lose heart, to endure misfortunes and troubles, offenses, wounds, injuries, to be slow, to avenge, to to pay back, to punish. It is a verb. It It sounds like an adjective. Love is patient. It sounds like an adjective, but it's a verb. Love suffers long. Love endures. Love waits. It is an active thing. Patience is an active thing. Love chooses not to react when something comes at you that hurts you, that throws you into chaos. Love chooses not to lash out, to burst out in anger, to live in frustration. Love waits for other people who are going slower than you are or slower than you want them to go. Because love believes that this process in the lives of other people is under the direction of someone better than you, whose timetable may not be your timetable, but who never misses anything and always comes through in his goodness. Love waits because of faith. Love waits Love does not see patience as something to get out of as soon as I can. The very idea of patience is so despicable to us that when we're called to wait, we're looking for the out as soon as possible, and we consider it a victory to escape from patience. Love is patient. And trials produce patience. So if trials are normal and love is our calling, then patience is normal. And I would even say patience is needed for the work God wants to do in our soul. If he wants to grow you beyond where you are, then your ability to suffer long, to wait, is instrumental in that. So evaluate. Am I a patient person? Am I patient with people? Is there patience as the norm in the interaction with those that are close to me, with those that I love? Is your parenting patient? Are you patient with your job? Are you patient in your friendships? Are you patient with yourself? Are you patient with the Lord? Because that is a very practical area where we grow to fulfill the great command, love others. Well, I'm going to love other people. You can serve them in all kinds of ways. You can try to root for them to do good. But if you will not choose patience, you will not love them the way that you are called to. A Christian is patient because to be patient is to love. And I have to say it as plainly as I can. You cannot love people and at the same time be impatient with them. 
You are not loving someone when you are expressing and living in, settled in, impatience with them. If the hallmark of your relationship with anyone is impatience, then you are not connected to them in love. Patience is defining of love. And we dismiss it far too quickly. A Christian is patient because to be patient is to love. A Christian is patient because when God takes over, that's what happens in me. In Galatians chapter 5, there's this long discussion. And, and part of the, the, the idea from about the middle of the chapter on, we've, in chapter 5, we've been given freedom. We shouldn't use freedom as an occasion to serve our flesh. And then he gets into the difference between the flesh and the spirit. It's like we have two options in our life. We can live in the power of God. It's called living in the spirit. Letting the Spirit have control of me, letting Him fill me, letting Him have every part of me, the Spirit in control, or living in your flesh, which is your humanity, the the natural human way of looking at life and dealing with life, flesh or spirit. And he gives a whole thing. If you live in your flesh, it looks like this. These are the things, these are the, the results. This is the harvest you get from living in the flesh. And then he goes, but if you let the Spirit be in control, the fruit of the Spirit is... Do you know what two of the things that are through the Spirit? Patience and kindness. I mean, love, joy, peace, but as you, everybody knows love, joy, peace, then after you get after that, patience and kindness. If the Spirit has control of you, you become patient. You become kind. Now, before I get further with that. I just want to say this. Sometimes we get the idea that patience means I have no limit. I just wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. I don't talk about anything. I don't deal with anything. I don't, I'm just scared of conflict. I'm I'm always moving away from any kind of confrontation. That's not what patience is. Patience is not head in the sand. Patience is not, I can just endure, 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 and I can take all the abuse and I never say anything about it. I never do anything about it. That's not patience. Patience addresses reality doesn't ignore reality. It, it looks at the choices that others are making and accepts them and reacts to them. Patience will react to the choices of other people. The difference is in what mindset. It doesn't mean we won't confront what is wrong or plead for what is right, but patience versus impatience will react differently to what's happening around us. Why should you be patient? Well, because Love is patient, and we are called to love. Patience, though, comes from understanding. As I go back to the wisdom book, Proverbs chapter 14, listen to what the Proverbs tell us in wisdom about patience. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29. It says this, Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly or foolishness. So the difference between Quick-tempered and patient is the difference between understanding and foolishness. So when we understand, what, what Proverbs tells us, when we understand the outflow is patience, when we get it, when the light bulb goes on in us about how things work and what matters and what values, patience is what we choose. When we don't, then we are quick-tempered. Then when things bother us, everybody knows it and we just everybody pays the price for how I feel. That is not Christian. That is not godly. That is not the way we are called to live. Patience comes from great understanding. So what kind of things do we understand? Well, one of the things you can understand is that God is patient with you. Has God been patient with you? Do you need him to be patient with you? See, we understand what 
Love is because God is love, and God in part is patient with us, waiting for us. But I would say some of the understanding is also this, that I will be able to connect with people, partner with people. I will be able to be with someone, really with someone, if patience defines our relationship. And if not, I will feel isolated and alone. There's strength in patience. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32, tells us that patience wins battles better than strength, anger, leverage, even skill. I know for, again, men, maybe I'm just talking to us, but somebody comes to you with a jar that they can't open. This is your shining moment, right? They hand it to you and say, I can't open it. That jar is getting open, right? No matter what. So let's just say in your pride, in your arrogance, you just like, you know, give it a little twist thinking, oh, no problem, and it doesn't open. What's your next move? Harder, stronger. We always go, we go towards strength, right? Strength is better. More strength is better. If I have the most strength, that's the best. Look what Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32 says. Better a patient person than a warrior. One with self-control than one who takes a city. Do you see the comparison, the parallel comparison there? Patience versus someone with physical strength who can defeat and conquer someone else, whether it's another person, another army, or a whole city. He said, the wisdom literature says this. Better is a patient person than that. That person, that patient person, wins more, does better, accomplishes more through patience than we do, than we do through all the strength that we have. Understanding, the understanding that brings us to patience is this, that you destroy more with impatience than you think. And that you always win more with patience than you can understand. We have to start believing that we are gaining much more by patience than we could ever do or accomplish by expressing frustration, criticism, impatience. Let me, before I move on to kindness, let me just give you a practical application of this, okay? How patience impacts your relationships. Every relationship, the fabric of the relationship is communication. Like you don't have, if you're not communicating with someone, you don't have a living relationship with that person. You know what I'm saying? Not like you don't like them, they don't like you, but you're not in relationship with them. Communication is the fabric of relationship. Your relationship with other people is defined by the depth of how you can communicate with them, how you are safe to communicate with them. If you have a friendship with someone, you are as close to them as you can communicate with them deeply and freely. And the more that you can share with that person, the closer you feel to them, right? If you're parenting, the, the definition of the effectiveness of your parenting is how well you can get through to your kids through communication, so that they will know and love Jesus and follow Him. I have to get through to them, and I do it through communication. In a romantic relationship, you are longing for, aching for connection with someone else. And I'm not talking about shallow pleasure connections. I'm talking about to be known, to be loved, to be chosen, to be wanted, that kind of connection. And that comes through communication. The, the expressing of that in, in verbal and nonverbal ways, communication. But think now with me, okay, so if communication is the fabric of relationship, think about how patience affects communication. Think about it this way. Have you ever had a really great, deep, connecting conversation 
grounded in impatience? Like, even if you are done with the conversation because it's taking too long and you've checked out, does that lead to better communication? I'm not saying, have you ever had a conversation where impatience started it and then you kind of got out of that and resolved it? Those can be great conversations. I'm talking about, have you ever had a great, deep, connecting conversation by being impatient through the whole thing? Of course not. Because impatience divides. It destroys. It disables connection. And here's why. Impatience is an accusation. Impatience is an attack. Impatience makes the person on the other side, the receiving end of your impatience, defensive. You are demanding that they defend themselves. And defensive people either run away or fight back, but never do they connect. You say things in impatience like, how many times do I have to tell you? What's taking you so long? What's wrong with you? I'm, maybe I'm the only person that said that, but some people say that sometimes. It expresses impatience and it puts the other person on the defensive. You are not going to get close to them and you're not even going to really be effective with them by attacking them in impatience. Patience doesn't ignore the problem, but it asks a different question. It says things like this. Hey, what's going on? Something feels wrong. What's happening? Tell me what, tell me what you're feeling. Do you, do you see this? Do you feel this? It feels off to me. Am I wrong? Am I missing something? Patience addresses it, but I hope you can see the difference between what's wrong with you and what's wrong. One is founded in impatience, the other in patience itself. Addressing communication, addressing slowness, addressing frustration with that is, is grounded. It takes its roots in confidence that God is at work and in charge of my life. God is doing work in me and the other person. I can be a part of God's work in them. They can be a part of God's work in me. So we're all in this thing finding out what God is doing. That's how patience loves. And that's how love is patient. People of God, do we value patience like this? Do we value patience like this? If Paul is right that love is patience, then love is the thing that God is using to transform me and transform this world, then love being patient is a pretty big deal, isn't it? Me choosing patience is something I need to practice. So love is patient. Love is also kind. This is also a verb, just like patience is a verb, kind is a verb. I know, again, it sounds like an adjective. Love is kind, but it's love is, acts kindly. It's to show yourself to be mild and pleasant. It is implied in connection with patience that this demeanor is towards those who you love in spite of everything and anything that is happening around you and in your life. I am choosing Kindness. Kindness is pouring out good, pouring out consideration, pouring out uh, grace on other people. That is kindness. Doing good for them. Specifically, in this, kindness is what I choose in the face of troubles, offenses, wounds. And instead of reacting in despair, instead of acting in frustration, instead of lashing out, instead of embittering myself, I choose to pour out kindness as a reaction to the trouble in my life. 
It is a very different reaction than our normal response because I choose to give graciousness and goodness to the person that I am loving, not because they pleased me, but because I love them. And in that, we start to follow the example of our Father. Our Heavenly Father, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says it like this. This is how God showed us His love. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. God did not wait for you to get it together, to catch up, to do the right thing, to, to, to think the right things, to act the right way, to come and save you. He saved you because He knew you could never do that. So in kindness, in goodness, in love, He put His love on display that while you were still His enemy, He came and died for you. Aren't you grateful for that? There is no doubt we are called to love our neighbor, and there is no question that love is kind. So we are called to choose kindness to all who come across our path. To give good without evaluating what we will get in return. This is tough, guys. We're all about fair. Kindness is not about fair. Kindness is about I choose to give good regardless of what I get in return. To be gracious to others whether or not they have been gracious to me. To seek their good, even if they are my enemy. What? That is explicitly Christian. Did you know that? To seek the good of your enemies. Well, that makes no sense. If they're my enemies and they get good, then I get bad. Exactly. Do you think I'm making this up? Luke chapter 6. Verse 27 down to verse 35. These are the words of our Savior. These are the words of Jesus in challenge to us. It says this, But to you who are listening, I say, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. You want practical work for the week? Do that. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Now here's a summary, verse 35. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them. Who's the them? Your enemies. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is, look at this word, He is what? Kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Now I'm just going to say, I think we probably could use some practice on this. If there's anybody who is an expert at loving your enemies, you're, you're exempt. But all the rest of us, I think this is our worksheet for the week. If we are going to be like Jesus, if being like Jesus is what it means to be a disciple, then we got some work to do. We got some choices to make. 
It's going to take some practice because it is so unnatural. That response to those who hate us or curse us or are enemies of ours is so unnatural that we won't ever do it without choosing it. And then we won't probably ever choose it on any kind of regular basis unless we choose it regularly, practicing it. It says in verse 35, Jesus' summation of why we should do this and act this way is that the Most High is kind to ungrateful and evil men. The Most High. We will be children of the Most High. Do you want to be children of the Most High? Well, the way that we reflect Him, Jesus says, the way that we reflect Him is this. Because God is kind to ungrateful and evil men. So if you, if you don't want to, like, I don't know what to do about kindness, I don't know what to do about patience, start here. Take out a piece of paper when you get home. Write down a list of people you think fit into the category of ungrateful and evil. Right? That's an easy first step. You could probably come up with a lot of people that you... Nobody's grading you. You can write anybody you want. You can write me, anybody you want, right? Ungrateful and evil. Just write that list down. And as you look at that list, marvel at what Jesus just said about how God is towards them. He is kind to the ungrateful and evil. So we should be too. Isn't that what he's saying? We should follow his steps. So how do we move towards that? Jesus says, love your enemies. He says, if someone hits you on one cheek, turn the other. He says, if they take your coat, offer your shirt. He says, if you love those who love you, what difference is that? Love those who hate you. This is the distinctive Jesus gives about what it means to love like him. What it means when he says love one another. This is it. And the lab is where you're about to walk out into. Where God is going to exercise you in love, being patient and kind. I don't know where you need to apply this. Maybe as I'm talking, the Spirit is already poking at things that have been settled. You've pushed them aside, and you're like, I don't know what to do, and I'm not going to deal with that. That's got to stay over there. But today, he's like, listen, we've got a summer here, and we're going to work on some stuff. And we're going to start with love is patient, and love is kind. Love one another as I have loved you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Later in the New Testament, some of the apostles pick that up and say, all the law is fulfilled in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. It is a focus for us to grow. How I treat people is how my soul is. It's whether I'm growing or wilting. It's whether God is working or I'm pushing Him away. Love is patient. Love is kind. Let's stop being excusers of our impatience. Let's stop being people who rationalize why we don't have to be kind to that person. Let's be people who embrace the challenge of loving like our Heavenly Father, being children of the Most High God. I don't know where you need to practice it. I don't know where you need to do this, but I know we do. So all I know to do is to take this to the Lord and ask Him to do this in us.